<laughs> no, it, I, I didn't see the text message until after. Oh, okay. That's all right. Well, at least you got to finish. Yeah. Or one yeah. of you did. <laughs> <laughs> Sad because it's true. Uh, welcome no, to uh, our afternoon delight here at Read Me Romance. <laughs> Look at how red my face is. Like, I, I know. To... I felt the same way. I was like, why are my cheeks so red? Yeah, I thought you were rushing around when you sat down. I was like... Leah was even like, calm down. I was like, fine. take a breath. But it's really, okay. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did this thing like in the middle of mm-hmm. sex today where he was like, uh, you know, next time we'll wait till she goes to bed and uh, have a bottle of wine and do it in the, you know, in, in the guest room yeah. or something. I got, well, I said, we're still in the middle of this time. <laughs> <laughs> next time do you not do that though when you eat dinner you're already planning out the next meal i like Late, that like, lately i like a man that makes a plan okay <laughs> i can't talk about food like i we it's like because we're still i know you guys are kind of like semi you guys are kind of going back yeah, to society yeah. we have not done that here mm-hmm. in new york that's because you got too um, many fucking people up there we got too many people. <laughs> yeah. So that's all we talk about. Basically, it's it's like the first thing is what are we going to have for dinner? Because we can take stuff out and defrost it, you know? Mm-hmm. But so finally like, this week, I was like, we're doing takeout three days in a row. I went three days of not talking about it. <laughs> I not talk about it. And then the house is quiet because so there's nothing. Yeah. You're not arguing <laughs> about dinner. So. <laughs> you want to kick us off with uh, LB Dunbar and then we'll get into all our books. Yeah. Because I feel like Mel's chomping in the bit to tell us about this book. And she started to and I was like, shut up, shut up, shut up. We got to hit record. <laughs> yeah. And Mel, your hair looks really good. Does you, it? Too. you got some hair cut off. She got it. What'd you do? What color did I you get? It. I didn't get, this is my color. Oh, you just did? It's okay. beautiful. She's got the most beautiful color hair. hair. It is jet black and it's natural. It's so pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so it's, shiny. I like that too. length on you. Mm-hmm. She chopped her off. Nice. I don't think it's been this long in a long time. In, God, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Maybe longer. Oh, wow. It's good. It frames your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we're here for uh, oh, Leah. You also got your hair cut. I wasn't. It's okay. Your, no, it's your fine. Hair I'm clearly, I'm not it? important. It's <laughs> fine. No, it's okay. Just, it's a, it was, I just like hers is in a ball on her head. How yeah. dare both of you yeah. show up with perfect hair? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, on the day where I look like garbage. <laughs> I always look like I just got a rude touch up. You're good. Go ahead. (laughs) We're here for LB Dunbar week, you guys. We're really excited. Um, I think we talked about a little little bit about LB Dunbar in the podcast last week at the end, but she writes uh, romance for like not for over 40s, but about Mm -hmm. over 40s and uh, characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool. I do too. It's a market you don't hear about a lot. I think that's Mm -hmm. really awesome. I think Kristen Ashley and Susan Stoker are two that I can think of that mm-hmm. also 
right? Women that are like not 15. Yeah. You know? And I mean, not literally 15, but you know, I'm just exaggerating. Yeah. Okay. Like mm-hmm. 22. We're going to have to delete this whole podcast and start over. <laughs> I know, right? I'm offended right now. I was looking right at you I'm guys. Sorry, I'm sorry. I feel really called out at this moment. You're, you, I'm sorry. You don't write about 18 year old virgins every single book. Well, you know. <laughs> I just, I just, um, I was actually sitting down to plot a series recently and I was like, I realized that every single one of my series, like one of the characters in the series is like a innocent virgin. And I was like, oh, I, like that, I think though. I'm going to write a series where both of the girls aren't virgins and I'm just going to, because it, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. It Go just, for it. You've been reading really strong heroines lately. That's why. Maybe that's what it is. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't be strong if you're a virgin, but, uh, <laughs> Tessa, take a breath, okay? You came in here hot. You're second guessing everything. Mel, tell us about your book. Wait, we didn't finish with L.B. Oh, oh shit. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, Okay, so this book that she brought for us is called Justice for Cora. It's got a motorcycle man in it. Ooh, Uh I like this. Really hot. She writes great books. She has one called Second Chance, Sexy Silver Fox, Second Chance Romance with the Woman He Left Behind but but Could Never Forget. That's on Kindle Unlimited. And it's actually it's actually free right now. Mm -hmm. So it's free through June 2nd. So you gotta grab it. And you're gonna meet the girl, the heroine from Second Chance in uh, the book we're gonna play for you today. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's Cora's uh it's this is Cora's best. Cora's best friend basically is is the heroine from for Second Chance. So um, once you we finish with the installment today, go grab that one from from LB Dunbar on Kindle Unlimited. Yay! So, yes, she has lots. She's got lots of great stuff too. So I love the name Cora. Me too. I almost named our daughter Lydia that. It was my great aunt. That was her name. Her name was Cora May. And when I was little, I used to call her Cormay. I thought that was her name, was Cormay. She Cormay? Was, yeah, she was a sweet old lady. I loved her. So, yeah. Got a soft spot for that name. Mel, what did you read this week? You said you read some great books. Oh, yeah. So, I've, read, I've had um, Cold Queen by Kay Webster on my Kindle for a mm-hmm. while. And it's like... That cover is beautiful. I've, it is a mm-hmm. beautiful cover. But I guess I've never seen Frozen. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you what? <laughs> She doesn't have little I can't kids, tell you. Though. Like, the girl's name starts with an E. She's Elsa, hair. yeah. That's all uh-huh. I got. Elsa, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So I have. I don't have kids that are... I have a boy and a, a girl that's more boy than my boy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she's a tomboy. Uh-huh. You don't have princesses. I think, I think you would relate to Kristoff, though. <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Your son. Maybe No, like, there's it. something for everybody in Frozen. I don't... Mm-hmm. I love... I can't even describe the plot of Frozen without crying. <laughs> well... This book, I don't know. I think it's loosely, oh, loosely based, based off based of Frozen. Oh. But the more I write it, the think about it, I don't know how much it ties in because some of it gets really dark. Okay. Is it, does Frozen get I dark? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, there's like murder. Like there's like this guy that wants to murder and he's a sociopath. And you know what's so cool about Frozen? I'm sorry to sidetrack, but uh, one thing I read about <laughs> is all the evil characters in Disney movies wear gloves. Ooh. And it's a way, wow. yeah, like you, if you notice um, the bad guy from Frozen, like Prince Humperdinck, yeah. whatever his name is, he always, he has gloves on in the beginning of the book. But yeah, it's like some sort of Disney thing because like hands are like a way, uh, something about hands being deceptive or something, mm-hmm. um, or or being a way of like um, deceiving. Dis- yeah, it's like it, you can express your intentions with hands, mm-hmm. and so like if they're covered, it's like your intentions are hidden. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, so yeah, yeah. 
There you go. Just a little bit of trivia. So, okay, so how it was based on Frozen. Oh, so so I guess, but anyway, so the guy there's like two different palaces or whatever, and he comes because they need to come. These two need to come together because they're the most strong mm-hmm. to defeat these bad people. He comes over and he's like, "I'm gonna marry your sister," and she's like, "She's the Frozen Queen," and. But the great thing about this book is they go through this battle of her wanting to fight him because she wants to protect her sister. But what's great about this book is the hero, when you first meet him, you're like, I don't know. And then you realize, they call him the seer, that he is like 20 steps in front of all of us. Oh, wow. Oh. I like that. And, and he starts to unveil that he is like, why he's really strong and this woman is kind of frail. She starts to get stronger and stronger and he's helping her get there. Oh, wow. But he's like, and he's not intimidated by this. He's like trying to make it happen to make her. And you just see this hero really push up this woman throughout the story that you didn't realize what was happening. And even still towards the end, you realize when you start to backtrack thinking, you're like, oh my God, he's even more of a hero than I realized. Oh, I love that. I love surprises like that. So the whole book, I just kept reading. And when I was done, it was so good. I was like, I obviously need more Webster after that. Clearly. So, So, okay. What's like, what's the, so he just, I don't want to give anything away. That's why I'm like, I don't know. Cause there's a bunch of things that happen. You're like, Oh, it didn't see that coming. Didn't well, see don't that tell coming. me. So he's a seer. Is it paranormal? Well, yeah, she has power so she can make okay. ice. Oh, okay. So he's a seer. So and he, he can, can make things. fire. Okay. Okay. So like, and, but she's like dying. Ooh. She's dying when he gets there. I need to read it because I feel like that sounds like the witcher to me. It yeah. It sounds a little bit like witcher, yeah. like a witcher world, but, you know? So she's dying and he gets there. And he wants her help or whatever, but then he realizes she's dying. Mm. And that's when I, that's why I can't tell you like all the things because it would give so much away. But just know it's really really good. Is there like a really strong sister theme? Yes, but I don't think it's like everybody, I think it's different from Frozen. That's why I'm kind of like, I don't know. All right. So we'll need to read it and compare notes. (laughs) But what's great about this book is, I want to say this, I don't want to throw anybody off because some of these books like this are very like four, three, 400 pages. Uh-huh. This was only 2000 locations, which I'm going to guess is around like almost 200 pages. Uh-huh. And you really get a sense for the world. Like I could see the world, yeah. everything happened at a nice fast pace and we got a lot of stuff and I could read it in like two or three hours. Hey, Webster's great about that. So it was nice to get all of that in a smaller package, but not too small. Mm-hmm. And she did it beautifully. When I was at the end, I wasn't like, I didn't get enough. Mm-hmm. I like that. So, is there more? Awesome. Is this so, going to be a series, do you think? Or is this standalone? I don't know. Well, I don't want, well, I imagine everybody knows there's a happy ever after yeah. kids and all that. Yes, I want the kids story. Okay, okay. So, because she does a bunch of epilogues and stuff because, I don't know, it's just something different that I haven't read. It took me back to like... um wanting to go and reread like Ruby Dixon's older stuff and going into a whole new world and things like that. It was nice. But then because I read that, I was like, I need another book. And my friend Polly had been telling me I need to read Hood Rat River. Has anybody seen that one around? Hood Rat? Hood Rat. It's called Hood Rat. <laughs> no, I didn't no. see that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I've been like, come on. I'm immediately going to, I'm looking it up on Amazon because I'm in like, and how so, do you avoid, how, how, how is that not like, like a problem? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a high school bully. Book. Okay. So I get it. And I haven't read it because I'm not big on male male. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And I was like, Polly was like, read it, read it, read it. And I was like, I'm going to start this book. And at least I'll be able to say I started it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just didn't work uh-huh. for me. I get this book open and it's like four or 5,000 locations. Oh shit. So it's like 500 and pages. Yeah, so I get this book open and I get two chapters in and I'm like, nothing else is being done today. 
Wow, because like, I never I have that response probably, to a male male. I never go into a male male book. Like it that. is probably the best book I've read in over a year. Holy really? shit. Wow. Strong like, words. I was invested. I think maybe. Who's the author? Kate Webster. Oh, oh shit. I didn't realize she wrote that. Okay, go ahead. I, so I, I found a book by it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Not her. <laughs> Not her. So what happens is you get these two boys. So one's like preppy and then one's like a bad boy, but they each have these in-depth backstories to their lives. And they're seniors in high school. One doesn't know they're gay. What what is it called? One knows Tessa. Gay. What's the name of the book? It's it's Hood River Rat. Yeah, Hood River Rat. Sorry. It's <laughs> a big difference. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. The whole story, like you just you hate you hate them how they treat each other at some okay. point. Or how one of them is treating one. Because one guy is very much he's going through a lot, so much so that he's like almost sick. Oh wow. But everything he does is he puts on a happy face. Because hmm. he doesn't want to upset anybody else. And then you have this other guy who's had the shittiest life ever trying to raise his sister. Yeah. To his drug addict mom, and he has to be, he's trying to take care of her, being a freaking asshole to this guy. And they are just like going at him. And you're mad at him, but at the same time, you feel bad for this boy. Yeah. You get why he's an asshole. Yeah. And so the whole story, you're just like waiting when this guy's like dying on the inside a little bit, and he's like, the guy keeps being mean to him, but he'll get glimpses of him, and he's like, there's a scared boy inside of him, and I'm going to pull it out of him, even if it kills me. So even while he's going through this, he's like, I'm going to fight for this guy. Mm. And the other guy doesn't even know he's gay at first. And it was just like. So there's, so is it, it's a complete, a happily ever after? Yeah. So which book did you ask her for? Because that's the first book of the series. Uh They're called Hoodlum. And this main guy, well, that guy in this one, who's the bully, um, has like five other friends. And they're all, I think, going to be straight. So, and his sister is the next book. He's raising his little sister. Oh, it's so unusual to kick off a series with the male. I know. That's usually somewhere mixed in. Damn. I usually put it somewhere in the middle or the end. Yeah. She must have really loved it. I hadn't been in a book that, like, I, so I reached out to the author to get the next book because I was like, I need this. I can't wait. Which is actually out now. (laughs) Yeah, it's out now. It's out now. So when you hear this podcast, it'll be live. Okay. So you'll be able to get the second book, which is a sister's book. Little, ho- little hoodlum. <laughs> it, it's called. Well, you'll want this guy because the guy that's with this one, the girl, he's fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Lead one with of the that. heroes. Lead with fucking nuts. Like he's dark, psycho. You're like. He guy. looks like that on the cover. He looks like. Yeah. A little bit he crazy. is a psychopath. I mean, one of the lines in the book, I think I. Oh, he is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I like that. At one point, when, towards the end or whatever. They, he almost killed the guy, one of the guys, mm-hmm. one of the main leads, the nice guy. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I guess my boyfriend's best, psycho best friends like me, so I'm getting somewhere. Oh, shit. He's psycho. He's psycho. But um, so I get the book, and she sends it to me, and it's on my Kindle, and I can't bring myself to read it because I don't want to leave this couple. Oh. Is that weird? Yeah. Like, no, I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to go on to the next couple because I'm still, like, reminiscing with this couple. Yeah. You need another epilogue for that. I love that. So I'm just, I'm just like, I don't want to leave them. I even dreamed about them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe you are a male, male, Mel. And then during one of the um, sex scenes, I don't know. Have you ever thought this? I've never thought this before when I'm reading the sex scene, even though I can see it in my head. Yeah. 
I was like, I wish I was in the room and I could like actually see. Oh, wow. Like stand there and see them do this. I want to be there. I want to hear it. Uh I want to really visualize this. Like you wish you were in the moment. Like usually sometimes I'll skim through sex scenes. Yeah. I've done them so much. Uh I was like slowly reading it. I was like, I'm getting all of this. I love that. I love that you had such a good reading like a couple of days or whenever it was like. I love that you've like had that spark and it was such a good book for you. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll probably read the other one this weekend. I've just been holding it because I was like, if I get sucked in, I need to make sure again that I have this block of time Uh that I won't. Or something to keep you from crashing. You know, like the crash and burn after such a good book like that. I feel like you just got to have the next book ready to go. Either the next book in the series or you got to have another series on deck. Well, what ha- I thought, I always thought when people were like, I have a book hangover, like it was, while well, this book was emotionally, it wasn't like, oh, I'm sad. It yeah. was just like, I just, I okay. don't want to end. I just be here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't that. know. Well, I've got some books that I read too, if you guys want to move on to that. Yes. I read, um, I finally listened to The Business of Blood by Kerrigan Byrne. It came out on the audio. And I posted at headquarters. Let me give the a warning on this. So she says it in the book bio that this isn't a traditional romance. There's not really any romantic elements to it. It is, it's like graphic, but it's no, there's no sex. Violently. Violently graphic. She is this, it's in like Victorian era. Um, she cleans up after murders. So when people are killed, she cleans up a crime scene in Victoria era times. And she is obsessed with Jack the Ripper. And it's about like the people he kills and he hunts. And she has like this obsession with him and she ends up communicating to Jack the Ripper. Like they write letters, like he writes letters to her and it is like your innocence is the only thing that that's as the, that's kept you from being one of my victims. The fact that she's a virgin and, and she does what she has because he's obsessed with her. And it's like, it is just, it's crazy. Oh my God. I am. That, is, that is so, so up my Oh alley. my God. It is so good. Like, so is that character going to be like, is this going to be like a they, series? Uh, there's another, characters? yeah, there's another book that's coming out and I think Ooh. it comes out like in a couple, in like two weeks or something. It's, I'm not sure when this airs. It's like, so eventually she's not going to be a virgin anymore. I know. I want, I know. Like I can't wait. And so she does have kind of like this, oh my God. So, okay. So I don't want to give anything away. So in the beginning she has this friend from childhood and he turns out to be a priest when he comes, he becomes older and apparently they were engaged at one time. And so she's just so infatuated with him, but he's like, we can't, I'm a priest. Like, so there's like this unrequited thing. And then there's this detective that um, she kind of, like, knows through what she does, through her business of cleaning up these crime scenes. And he, like, is, you know, surly and sort of angry and, like, is kind of off in the distance. And, you know, she kind of has this thing of, like, one night he just gets frustrated and, like, basically offers to warm her bed, so to speak. And then she's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, this guy came out of nowhere. And then so she's kind of got her eye on him, like, outside, you know, the corner of her eye on him. Like, while all this is happening. But she's got this obsession with Jack the Ripper and these murders and these, all these, the way they're killed. And then there's this other character who's, like, this pimp who runs this whole prostitute ring that she's obsessed with, like, what his job and what he does. And there's like, there's all these crazy elements that are happening, but it's also visceral. 
and and the murders are so graphic and it's just like i was so sucked into it i loved it oh i gotta read it yeah it's really good so it's called the business of blood by kerrigan Byrne. it's a, a series she started i think she maybe pitched it with her publisher and they were just like this isn't your normal thing so she was like fuck it and just released it on her own is it self-pub yeah yeah so it doesn't and she just got the audio uploaded like this week and so uh so it's live now on audible and then the the next book in the series comes out like in the middle of june i think okay i'm gonna definitely pick it up yeah i can't recall what the name of the second book is but if you just look on her on her social media she's got it posted and then um she sent me the arc for a dark and stormy night and i can't wait to read that that's next so I have I have a dark and stormy night downloaded, and I also downloaded Kennedy Ryan's Queen Move because everybody has told me how good this book is, and it looks good. It looks so good, and you know I was like I don't read enough Kennedy Ryan. Like she's just such a phenomenal writer, and I was like I'm definitely gonna read this book. So I downloaded it. That's the thing I'm reading next. I also I read The Hunger Games. The prequel to it is called A Ballad of Songbird and Snakes. And it was really, really good. And I had several people ask me while I was reading it what I thought about it. I liked it as much as I liked the first Hunger Games. Like, I don't feel like you feel sorry. It's about, so it's about Snow. Um, He's 17 years old when the book starts. And it's about that his family is broke. They had all of their money invested in military uh, stuff in District 13. And District 13 gets nuked. And so they lost everything but to the public they told them like oh we didn't have everything in that we didn't have all our eggs in one basket when in actuality they did so it's about him being poor and and not being able to really feed um you know his grandmother or his cousin tigress is there and i didn't know that tigress was his cousin but that i found that out first page but um so anyway so it's about him they live in this penthouse and there's supposedly like an affluent family that you know, has to maintain the status and he's struggling to do this while he's going to school and he's just trying to hold on long enough to get this job. And so he gets a job or um, he gets uh, he gets uh, placed as a mentor. He's a student in um, this academy and apparently everybody in the capital goes to this academy and you make your connections for the future. So he's trying to make connections so that he can become president one day, which he does. So while he's there, they have their first time for the Hunger Games. They say, we're going to let 24 students be mentors to all the people that go in, to all the people who are reaped. And so um, he gets assigned to the female in District 12. And right away, like, he feels something for her. And so there's this whole story about he has feelings for someone that is a tribute that is going into the Hunger Games. He has to mentor. And oh, does she die? I can't tell you. So <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything, but this <sighs> is in the beginning. You sort of understand that like, okay, there he's sparked by this person. Her name is Lucy Gray. He's sparked by her. And so then it's about like all his contributions to the Hunger Games. He ends up saying like, oh, you know, we should... We should televise this to make everybody watch it. And then, oh, we should sell. We should let people bet on this. Or, oh, we should let people buy gifts that we can give to them while they're in the games. Like, he basically monetizes the Hunger Games and makes it into what it is when Katniss walks into, you know, her arena. So... It, so it's about all his contributions and why it is. And I'll tell you what, I didn't feel sorry for Snow in the end. 
and I, and I understood him better and I liked him more as a character, but not because he was a better person, just because I like sinister characters. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the first to say I love a villain, you know, especially in like Harry Potter. My, my favorite is, is Bellatrix, you know, one of the worst ones. Like I just like a villain. So I love this book. It was so good. And then it propelled me to read the entire series after that. So I read, <laughs> yep. I read the Hunger Games or a Catching Fire. And then I read the Mockingjay. All and, this week? Yeah. Over the weekend. Nice. I know. Yeah. I, I plowed through some books. And so then I, I finished the Mockingjay and I put it down and I looked at my husband and I was like, this is why I hated this book <laughs> because, and I was like, I've forgotten because I only read it the one time and I had forgotten how depressing that third book is. I mean, if I, if it's, I can say anything, it's like a slog. It's yeah. awful. I mean, beautiful and poignant oh and God. wonderful, the but also just like, oh, the writing you just is hurt so the whole good, time. Yes. I'm achy. The whole, the, yeah. she's never happy. There's one chapter in the end, and then there's an epilogue. That's the only good thing that happens is in that epilogue. Even the last chapter, she's not happy. You know, it's just, it's awful. Like, so many awful things happen to her in that book. And everybody's sad, and there's war, and it's, but it's, you know, it's life. You know, and I get that that's, that's the, she wrote it correctly. She wrote the book that had to go with this series, but I was like, that's why I never read this book again. Like, I had forgotten <laughs> why I didn't read it again. Did you have a hangover? I, I didn't because I just immediately went to Kerrigan Burns' Business of Blood. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like this. It's some vengeance on this one. Yeah, I need to get, I need to read something this week. I, I did this thing. Wait, did you finish Jack and... No, I haven't. Sorry. <sighs> I know. It's sitting there at 25%. I, I did this thing that I do sometimes where I just get obsessed with the book I'm writing. Yeah. And that's it. Oh, I can't that's think good, about though. anything until it's over. Yeah. So, but that's good that's that you I'm... get obsessed on the story, though. Yeah. Like, I, it's... So the hero is a king crab fisherman, so I've just been marathoning Ooh, death, I deadly. I love yeah. that. I've just been mar- marathoning Deadliest Catch and yes. then I also watched The Perfect Storm, which... I fucking love that show. Deadliest Catch. Oh my God. I love Sid. He was my favorite. I love it. I've, I've been I've been watching... I don't remember the... Because I watched it when it started and now I've been watching the most recent seasons because like I want to... Basically all the politics of, of it has changed. You know, it's like Russia is involved like heavily now and the Russians are... Versus, it's like Russia versus USA. Yeah. And it's like, there's all these new tactics. Price is really high right now. So it's like, there's like, where there used to be 50 boats, now there's a thousand. And it's really competitive. Well, they changed um, it based on the show. I remember that they used to not have, they used to have a time limit that you could only catch on these three days and that was it. Yeah, they they still have that. Well, it's different now because they put a cap on it and it says it's so that, People don't put themselves in danger. That was like from when I first watched it. I remember they changed it while I was watching the seasons. They even came, yeah. they came on and said like they had to redo this because this show sensationalized it so much. And I think it brought attention how dangerous this job was. And they were like, okay, let's rethink it. You know? Yeah. I mean, one person per week dies mm-hmm. during the season. So Jesus. like on average. So it's like the season's from October to February, but every year they have to designate a different like time period that the actual season is so like it could be like a week in january or it could be a week in november they don't know until like yeah the, pe- the people who decide that kind of thing yeah look at the infant like look and see what the, the supply is mm-hmm. and then they have to give everybody a quota so if there's not a huge amount of breeding happening or there's a, like a 
a shortage. Yeah. They, yeah. But then quotas are lower. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, so, and then they can't, they're not allowed to, to bring females in. Because yeah. Females have to breed. So yep. there's all these cool things about it. I don't know. I just love that show and I could watch it. Con- just watch yeah, it I used to watch it with my dad all the time. It was so yeah. fun. The perfect storm is depressing. Shit. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about depressing shit? I forgot. Oh I my forgot. God. That everybody dies. Everybody dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Spoiler. So, I actually, for a second, I go, wait a minute. Did Marty Mark make it out? Like, <laughs> no. Nope. Like their boat, their boat cat like turns over. Like, yeah. I, I, look, this came out in like 2002. So if you haven't seen it, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it may have even been before that. Like, it's so. It was old. like a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So Clo- it's Clooney, Wahlberg, John C. Riley, and like a few other cast members. So I can't. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look because I want to know now. I feel like it was in the 90s. Like, I don't it's know. based why. on a true story. Yeah, it's based on a true story. Yeah, Diane Lane's in it. So anyways, it's like, it's based on this boat that like went out basically after they 2000. had a ship. 2000. Two, that's huh? 20 years old. It came out in the year 2000. 2000. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, they had like a shit season and they don't, they, they're not king crab fishermen. They're like, I think they get tuna. I think it's tuna. Yeah. And so they go out from, uh, they're out of, um like Massachusetts uh-huh. and yeah like they go out they have a shit they have a shit time so they go back out and then a, the perfect like literally three storms collide right on their right boat. over their boat yeah oh my god and so anyways the boat capsizes like this huge wave comes in and George Clooney's like come on you bitch and he tries to get out of the way <laughs> and then boat turns over and so they're all an upside down boat you yeah. know in this like giant giant swells mm-hmm. and Marky Mark like swims to the top and I go oh, Pat oh my god I was like Marky Mark is gonna get back he's gonna survive this he's the one who survives right <laughs> nope nope <laughs> no I keep even to the funeral I think I keep thinking he's gonna walk in I'm like I don't know why I was like my brain cannot accept that there is no happily ever after endings. please tell me your book's gonna end a little bit nicer than oh that. fucking don't worry this I'm is thinking. my favorite book I've ever written oh, I don't shit, even know really? I've written have a 40 name for it yet? against the current but that's just oh, the working cool. title yeah I like that that's really pretty is it yeah, gonna be we'll a series see. or do you know yet? It's I'm not, I haven't made the announcement yet okay. who cares I, I don't know it's it's gonna be a duet uh, it's okay. with, with a publisher. Oh, okay. So it's just the two sisters. I didn't, I, I, I'm kind of getting sick of writing trilogies. I just it's so hard. It's so hard <laughs> to pull that third book out. I the, time the third one rolls around. I'm like, does anybody care anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. No, I feel like a duet is really satisfying too. Cause you get one yeah. and then you get the other and then it's just a perfect little bow. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to pace it so that you're only setting up little by little. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, okay, I'm setting up the next book. Yep. And like, you Swing can just kind of all. focus on the two things. Can one of them be like a dockside prostitute or sex worker? I should say that. <sighs> no. Oh, come on. <laughs> like, something about that sounds so hot, though. You know what I mean? Like, she's just waiting on the men to come back from shore. Okay, short. wait, I have a book They're for so you. They're so fucking then. hot. Right. Wait, actually, no, I have a movie for you I just watched called, so I've been watching all the fishing movies, I just, like yeah. I just said. So there's this new one out called Blow the Man Down. Oh, I've seen that. Have you seen it? We talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> What? Yes, it's so good. I told you I'm gonna go back and find the episode where I told you how good it was, so you had to watch it. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh my god, I don't remember you telling me about it at yeah, all. Pat, I think when we were Pat's actually one that was like, "Hey, like, I found you a fishing movie. Let's oh, watch it." It's so good. I love it. I know oh that's what makes me want a book about that now. I want a seaside sex worker who waits on these boats of just horny men who have been out at sea for <laughs> so long that just make a line outside her door, just begging to fuck her. 
Yeah, expl- I mean, somebody write it. Yeah, well, <laughs> as long as it's, she's there by choice. Like, <laughs> For sure. Absolutely she's there. Do you know how she much money it. she's okay. got? And she loves it. She wants it. to be there. Yeah, okay. they give her so much money. <laughs> as I've said before, <laughs> there is one of my major turn-ons is when Pat gives me money. Oh, my God. Speaking okay. of turn-on, do you want to go to this book? <laughs> I was trying to give you a segue oh, into oh, the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of turn-ons, here is the first installment of Justice for Cora by L.B. Dunbar, and we will talk to you on the other side. Bye. 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 This is Justice for Cora by L.B. Dunbar, read for you by Sophie James. One. Before. I can do this. It's my final pep talk in the microscopic thing I call a mirror on my visor. The lights around this small rectangular piece illuminate the darkness of my car. I've gotten here as late as I could, hoping the advance hour still has some men upright and willing to take on a woman severely sexually repressed. Seventeen years repressed. Devil take me nail color. Check. Hair quaffed and high. Check. Makeup smoky. Double check. The makeup might be a bit thick. I was going for the modern cat-eye look. Crow's feet had begun to pepper the corners of my eyes, but I refused to dwell on them or the sarapus lines marking my sad mouth. Examining the perfect tips I drew at the corner of my lids, I note there really isn't much difference between beauty queen and harlot. Tonight, I go for harlot. I know what I want. Having ambition has often been considered a negative But since when are drive and determination a bad thing? I have life goals. What's wrong with motivation? Granted, it might have clouded my vision a bit for the past twenty-plus years. Smokescreened my reality, actually. However, just as keeping blinders on helps keep a horse's focus, the same goes for me. Bless my soul. Now I'm comparing myself to equine life. The irony is not lost on me as my goal tonight is to get someone to ride me. Ride me hard and steady. You're being reckless, I warn myself. Fifteen years without sex, I remind. I open the door of my BMW, knowing I shouldn't have driven. I'm about two vodkas in, and driving here was irresponsible. Still, liquid courage was necessary, and the rage racing in my heart burns off any alcohol I've consumed. I stand and walk toward the thumping beat coming from the bar. This isn't the Ridged Edge, located outside of town and owned by the Rebel's Edge Motorcycle Club. This is the Devil's Den, their club higher up on the ridge. The group isn't one percenters, or so I'm told. I'm also told this is the place to come for what I want, a bit of danger, and to get laid. My entire five-foot frame trembles, but I hold my head high. Mind over matter. Focus on the end goal. Too bad it's never applied to my sex life. For twenty years, I was married to a man who never satisfied me. I've only ever had one orgasm, and it was so nondescript, I don't know if I even remember it properly. I clench my fists as my feet crunch on the gravel drive. I will not think of Stanley and his cheating backside, nor the orgasms he might have given his secretary. He probably didn't give her any more than he gave me. The egotistical, self-serving bastard probably doesn't know how to. 
So, tonight, I'm on a mission. I'm going to find someone to give me one, or three. My four-inch heels wobble on the gritty stone. I'm used to wearing killer shoes, being a short woman, but my body hums, and an unraveling sensation rippling just under my skin. My new skinny jeans, a form of disguise for my typical attire of suit skirts and power dresses. I'd admonish my own daughter for wearing these pants. No self-respecting woman wears such body-hugging clothing. But I'm finding the stretchy denim strangely reassuring. I can do this. With a deep intake of the cold winter air, I match my breathing to the rhythm of the pulsing beat coming from the building as I reach for the door. My hand quivers toward the entrance handle when the door suddenly flies outward, forcing me back a few steps. I stumble when my heel catches in the pebbled drive, but I'm more startled by the body flung past me. Time to go the fuck home. A gruff voice with a southern drawl groans. My head whips back and forth between the man struggling to catch his feet on the drive and the large mass before me. The powerhouse blocking the door ignores me, his eyes focused on the guy he just kicked out of the bar. Justice, you're a dick. The man slinging insults writes his stumbling feet and shrugs his leather coat to straighten it. Yeah, well, you keep yours away from where it's not wanted. The hulky form snaps. Then he mutters, fucking prick, under his breath as the other man stalks off for the row of bikes lining the front of the club. My eyes take in the mass blocking my entrance. Wearing a classic black leather jacket, a gray Henley and dark jeans, he doesn't look one bit affected by the cold. The February Georgia air swirls around us while I shiver my coat, questioning if it's the temperature or his presence. Coming in. A thick paw holds the door open while he questions me. Dark eyes narrow, and I can't make out the color, but the intensity focused on me forces my answer. Yes. Yes, I want in. In this club, in his arms, in those eyes. He steps back from the heavy door, forming an arch between his hand high on the wood and his body. His other hand flips, gesturing for me to walk under his outstretched arm between his large size and the entrance. As I walk forward, three things assault me at once. The bass thumping from the music inside. The dull red lights glowing from all corners of the overstuffed club and the press of a hand on my lower back. As if suddenly I had no will of my own, I'm guided by the person behind me to the massive bar. Get up. The biker at my back demands of a pretty blonde sitting on the stool. Justice, I heard the man outside call him that, pulls forward a second stool and pats the top for me to sit. More liquid courage will definitely be needed before I make my next move, so I plant myself on the offered seat. Justice draws a newly vacated stool closer to mine. His thick thighs spread around my seat, almost as if he's protecting me. Only I don't need protecting because I want to be reckless. Well, who do we have here? I'm asked by the young man behind the bar. He looks like my son. Twenty-ish, solid, edgy. My boy took to this club to find the family he never had, to find encouraging male role models when his daddy didn't fit the bill. I want to scoff at the thought, knowing what I know of the men in this club, but I will not judge. I miss my son. He had to deny his real family to find a better one. Hey, you're the mother of Apple Jane. The bartender answers his own question. Apple Jane, huh? The Texas lilt scoffs beside me, sending a shiver down my spine. 
My daughter Jane is famous for her apple anything concoctions, making her the reigning queen at the county fair for years. As her mother, I've used her fame for nefarious reasons. Guilt pinches at my heart. I want to put the young man behind the bar in his place for labeling me until I hear the soft rumble of a chuckle. Then what's your specialty, gorgeous? I turn to my sudden protector. His eyes appear black in the dim light, but his hair is definitely a mix of silver and midnight. The scruffy beard on his jaw matches with a perfect blend of salt and pepper. He looks spicy to me, and I want to be seasoned by him. He holds up a finger, and two shots magically appear before us. Pie, I reply, and Justice sputters liquid from the drink at his lips. Inky eyes dance in my direction before he rolls them over my seated physique. The look feels like a leather glove dragging down my skin. Well worn, tender, wild. What's your name, gorgeous? Cora. Cora Bell Conrad. I stutter for a moment on the last name, a name that used to be hyphenated, joining me with another man. Cora Conrad, I repeat stronger, deciding at that moment to divest myself of the divester last name. It's new to me, starting tonight. I extend my hand, my red nail polish appearing dark as blood when it catches in the light. I'm about to seal my fate. Justice, he offers, lifting my extended hand to his lips after we shake. The heat hits me instantly, rippling through my body like a warm blanket on a cold wintry eve. I'm going to hell for this night, but I don't think I'll mind the fiery flames if they feel like him. Firm handshake, Cora. Justice smirks. I've always been taught a handshake gives your first impression. Shake strong and be confident. With a curl of Justice's lips and a twinkle in his eyes, I'm sensing something deeper to his compliment. The kid behind the bar chuckles, and my gaze shifts to him. Scram, Petey, Justice barks, reminiscent of his directive to the man he pushed out the front door. Taking a moment, I peruse my surroundings. Dark paneling, black wooden bar, pool tables off to the side, couches along one wall. Is that woman... Oh my, I turn my back on the scene. Looking for something, Cora? Oh, I don't know anyone here. I dismiss him with a wave, the polished tips cutting a swath of red in the dull light. Not someone, something. My eyes draw back to him, and the correction the word choice weighs between us. Maybe. Am I flirting? I don't think I remember how. He eyes me. Dark chocolate skimming over my short winter jacket down to the holes in the knees of my jeans and dipping lower to the bright red heels on my feet. His appraising gaze is dangerous, but surprisingly, I'm not frightened of him. He's actually having quite the opposite effect on me, and I want to rub up against him. If I told you that you had a fine body, would you hold it against me? What? Was he reading my mind? Then I choke before bringing my shot to my lips and shoot it back. Wait, are you, are you hitting on me? Leaning closer, he whispers just below my ear. Do you want to be hit on? He's dangerous. I remind myself as his breath tickles my skin. But something in the way he speaks tells me he'd never hurt me. He chuckles at my wide eyes and my insides heat. His chin tips upward. Want to dance? Yes, 
But suddenly, I'm thinking of Zachary as a member of this club and rethinking my decision to be here of all places. The last thing I want is my 21-year-old son catching me grinding on the floor with an MC brother. Not tonight, I lie. Sharp knuckles rap on the bar and startle me. Justice stands upright, filling my space for a moment before stepping to the side. A moment of panic strikes. He's going to walk away. Hand me that bottle. Justice directs to Petey, nodding to the bottle of Jim Beam on the back of the counter. Petey passes it to Justice. He's about to excuse himself and leave me to sit here, fending for myself. My confidence wavers. Justice leans forward, and I brace for his dismissal when his raspy voice whispers against my neck. Follow me, gorgeous. His hand sweeps across my lower back as he passes behind me, and then he stops, pausing for my decision. I twist on the stool, and my heels hit the floor with a thud. Putting one foot in front of the other, I follow Justice's lead. We walk down a dark hallway lined with doors. The sound of the main room muffles the farther we go. At door number three, we enter what appears to be a bedroom. Cheap brown paneling line the walls. A poorly made double bed is shoved in the corner, and a door I presume leads to a bathroom is off to the side. My mind redecorates, sprucing it up a bit. The lodge I own would never have a room like this, not under my management. So, Cora, I reckon I know a thing or two about you. You do? I blink. I hardly know myself lately. Twenty years of marriage to a man who didn't love me can leave a woman empty inside. Add in that said man not only had an affair for the last eight years of the marriage with a woman assisting him, but that he also owned a home with her in a neighboring state for weekend trysts, and my heart no longer knows how to beat. Who was Stanley DeVester, really? And who would I become because of him? What you doing here, gorgeous? My thoughts interrupted. I stare at him while I speak. My husband stepped down on me. Fuck. Justice twists his lips as he curses under his breath. His thick knuckles scratch under his chin while his eyes narrow. So, what do you want? To fuck another man to get even with him? I... The crass language startles me, and my morals slowly catch up. I'm a good Christian woman. I go to church on Sundays and read clean, respectable books. I run my own profitable business. Then again, my husband has been with another woman. For years. The ladies of Blue Ridge will talk about me. They'll say I wasn't a good wife. They'll think I couldn't satisfy my man. Can I do this? Screw them. Stan is the unsatisfactory one. Justice, on the other hand, is a stranger. Although he isn't a total stranger, I've heard a thing or two about him. He's the one in charge. His status is recognizable. Even if we don't cross paths, a puzzled expression crosses his face as he observes me. It's been a long time, I say, my voice trembling. Since you fucked. He chuckles, thinking I'm joking, but I'm not. His eyes dance over my face looking for something, and then his throaty laughter slowly dies. You're serious. In a moment of raw honesty, I add, not kissed, not touched, not hugged. Nothing, not a zip. Was he out of his ever-loving mind? Just as Bella's, his eyes outlining my body in a blaze of intense heat. You're fucking gorgeous.
He steps forward, and I'm not prepared for the storm that hits me. Thick fingers dig into my hair. His scent invades my nose, and his lips. His lips vanquish mine with an intensity I've never felt. My fingers grip his biceps, and I press up on my toes, drawing myself closer to him. His hands slip from my hair into the back of my jacket, and I'm quickly stripped of the outerwear. His lips are warm, and as he sucks at the bottom curl of mine, I find myself lifting my hands to wrap around his neck and cupping it as my fingers delve into his hair. My knees give out, and I lift one leg to curl around his hip. I'm ready to climb him just from this kiss. He pulls back slowly with a twinkle in his deep eyes. His palms caress down my back to cover my backside. He presses me against him once, reinforcing the effect I'm having on him, and then he holds me still. My thighs tense as I pitch forward for friction. You kiss like that, and he didn't kiss you. Justice mutters, breaking our connection for a second. I shake my head and cup the back of his, forcing his mouth to mine. My hips tilt, seeking him. In a rush, gorgeous? He asks as his hand slips to my waist. His fingers dip under my shirt and travel over my skin. I shiver at his touch, the feeling foreign and frustrating, but welcome. So welcome. He stops just below my breast, using his knuckles to nudge the weight upward, but he doesn't continue his exploration. He has another question. You said you got a husband. I kicked him out. Going back to him. Justice asks, the question hesitant, curious, and something a bit more. Never, I exhale on the word. Before I can take another breath, his hand covers my breast in appreciation of my answer. He squeezes the weight before tugging to force my already peaked nipple to a sharp nub. His mouth returns to mine, and I melt into him. The massage, the attention, the warmth. When you haven't had human contact like this in nearly a lifetime, you appreciate the heat. And he was hot, burning hot, scorching. I wanted to be branded by him. So, how long's it been since you've actually fucked gorgeous? I don't need to hesitate to add up the years. The answer is a simple one. Never. I've never had the raw explosive attraction to really screw someone. Not even my husband. What? He snaps, twisting his lip with his teeth again. His eyes narrow. So that's what you're doing here. Heard this was the place to go. I reply, feeling sassy. Looking for just anyone. His brows pinch together, eyes shifting to a fierce glare. I don't think so. I say honestly, meeting those eyes. Not anymore. His twisting lips curve to a smirky smile one that could melt panties if mine weren't already combusting. His mouth finds mine again, and the kissing builds while he needs my breast. I risk removing my hand from his neck and slip them down his chest. He's solid, a man of manual labor, and my fingers enjoy the ripple expanse of his abs under his shirt. As I draw near his waistband, a quick hand encircles my wrist. Justice lifts my arm and kisses the tender skin over my pulse point there. Want to tell me a few things you like? His teeth drag over the raised vein. I like that. I want to answer, but I can't breathe. I stare at his white teeth nipping down my inner arm, forcing my sweater up to my elbow. I don't know what I like. 
It's true. I don't even know what I'm missing to know what I want to do. Well, I'd like to rectify this situation, Gorgeous. Let's start with what I'd like to do to you. He kisses me just under my jaw. Those breasts are on my list. He bends at the knees and kisses the swell of each. Then I'm going to bend you over this bed. You'll let me take you while you're on all fours, and then I'll roll you to your back and take you some more. Can't breathe. Would you like that? I nod. Want to hear the word, Cora? Yes. My voice squeaks, low and weak. His brow twitches upward, and I straighten. Yes, I say with more confidence, causing him to chuckle softly. That's a word I guarantee I'll hear more of shortly. His fingers go to my waistband, and he pops the top button of my jeans. You say pie's your specialty. His voice teases, and I'm wondering why we are suddenly talking about desserts. My zipper releases, and my jeans are tugged lower on my hips. Yes, I almost giggle, noting I'm using the positive term before anything has happened. Let's see, he says, dropping to his knees and dragging my tight jeans swiftly to my ankles. His nose leads him between my thighs. Inhaling, he lingers a moment before making quick work of removing my undies. He sniffs again, and then the wet tip of his tongue hits me in a way I've never been touched before. I buck forward, wanting more. Hmm. Cherry. He murmurs against me, the throaty sound rippling upward in anticipation of him inside me. My favorite kind of pie. And so the night begins. Two. After. One year later. Honey, he taking care of you. I question my now 21-year-old daughter, Jane. She's such a beauty with her brunette hair and brown-green eyes. Her cheeks turn rosy at my question. She knows what I'm asking. Is her man satisfying her? It might be a strange question from mother to child, but after the marriage I had, I don't want my girl living a lie like I did. Mama, I am not having this conversation with you. She scowls, but her face heats further, and I have my answer. Her man pleases her. This is good, I reassure her, patting her thigh as we sit in my living room. It's a blustery winter day, and snow is predicted. Her man worries about her, and that's another good thing about him. Okay, I need to go, Mama, Jane says, and we both stand. I appreciate her coming to see me and spending time with me. Although I love my children more than anything, I wasn't always a good mother. I want it better for her. And despite me, she found it. Thank goodness. And the goddess, I add. I'm into this new age thing of self-love and the inner feminine spirit, as introduced to me by Vilma Louise, a social media sensation. Her video collection boasts positive affirmation, including everything from mental acceptance to physical self-stimulation. I walk my daughter to the door, reaching for her a second time and tugging her close to me. I've been better at giving hugs since my divorce finding it's easier to receive them that way. Stan gave good hugs once upon a time, but when he stopped dispensing them, I stopped offering. Thank you for breakfast, honey, I tell her, brushing back her long locks and staring into her eyes that match her father's. She's nothing like him, thank goodness. She's good and sweet and in love. This all makes me happy. 
When she opens the front door and steps into the swift wind, we both shiver, and she tugs her coat to her throat. Feels like a storm is blowing in. The dark clouds hint of snow, making for a perfect day to camp out in front of my fireplace and read. I've moved on from clean reeds to naughty romances, and I'm in the middle of a good one that I'd like to finish today. Jane waves one final time, and I swallow back a small lump in my throat. When did my girl grow into a woman? A few hours later, with the fire blazing, a glass of wine, and my secret stash of golden Oreos at my side, I'm engrossed in my book, when a rap sounds on my front door. I look up and glance toward the windows, not having realized how dangerous the weather had turned. The snow is nearly sideways, and the glass panes are damp as though it rained at one point. The knock comes again, and I unfold my legs from the comfy chair I moved before the fireplace. I rearranged all the furniture in this den after Stan left. This was my house. My parents lived here, and I inherited it when they died. Staying here was a non-negotiable in our divorce. I saunter to the front door, wondering who on earth would be out on this kind of day and near my home. I live on the lane, Mountain Spring Lane, which consists of three antebellum homes on an old gravel fire rescue access road, and my house sits at the end of the dead-end path. For a moment, I worry it's Jane, wondering if she's turned back even though it's been more than a couple of hours. I don't think when I open the door. Then my eyes meet the dark orbs of midnight I'd recognize anywhere and haven't seen for almost a year. Justice, I whisper as he stares at me. A blast of cold air hits me as I'm standing with a blanket wrapped around my shoulders. He cups his large hands and brings them to his lips, blowing into the worn gloves covering his fingers. Those hands touched my body once. Those fingers entered me. That warm breath blew on my... Oh my. I grow warm despite the frigid breeze blowing through the open door. Gorgeous, you mind letting me in? For some reason, I lean forward tipping my head as if I'm wondering how he got here, but more importantly, what are you doing here? Bike hit a patch of ice, and I went down. My eyes roam his body, and I wonder if he's hurt. Then I notice a dark wet spot on the side of his jeans and the moisture on his leather jacket. He stomps his feet, eyes still on me as he blows into his covered fingers again. I can't continue to stand in this, he states, implying the weather pushed my ride off to the ditch and got a call into one of the boys to come get me. But it's colder than a witch's tit out here, and I don't want to wait in the snow. My mouth falls open, taken aback for a second at the reference to a mythical creature's breast. But then something throbs between my thighs, and I remember what he once said to me. You got gorgeous tits, baby. That night was a lifetime ago. I was a different person then, walking into a biker bar looking for a reckless evening of pleasure. I'd been there almost twelve hours, and left five orgasms later. Cora, may I please come inside? My name on his lips brings me back to the front hall. I still hadn't spoken, but I step back, allowing the door to open wider. His physique fills the opening. His presence fills my entire entryway. He is a solid man, solid everywhere, and I've missed him, although I fought back the longing. Can I get you something to drink? I offer once I've shut the door and meet his eyes. The question reminds me of how he poured that Jim Beam between my legs at one point and sipped it off me. That throb between my thighs turns to a heavy pulse, and I squeeze my legs together, hoping Justice doesn't notice my squirming under the plaid blanket wrapped around me.
He notices, though. Just like that night. He noticed everything and commented on it. Your pussy drips for me. You make the sweetest noises. You fuck me so hard, baby. Despite the dirty mouth, he was a tender lover. Could use a whiskey, he says, but I take a coffee. I nod and watch as he removes his boots, then sets his gloves on top of them. He places both next to mine on the mat just inside the door, and I quickly dismiss how much I like the image of his black scuffed motorcycle gear next to my fluffy snow boots. Instead, I lead him to the back of the house where the kitchen is. How did you know I lived here? I ask, turning to him once I circle the peninsula counter. Simultaneously, I reach for the coffee pot and open the cabinet above it to remove a mug. Told you that night. Might know a thing or two about you, he says, surprising me that he remembers anything about that evening. He never called. He never came to see me. Our paths did not cross. And for a while there, I thought I'd dreamed the entire evening. It was a wonderful fantasy. Haven't seen you around, I comment, trying to keep cool. There were no promises made that night, and the only plan was to get me off as much as he could. Those were his words, not mine. I'd come for one thing. I'd walked about with a memory full of so much more. Gorgeous. You and I are from different worlds, he states, helping himself to a stool at the counter. You seem to know a bit about mine, I say, meeting his eyes as I hand him the filled mug. You should take off that jacket and get out of those wet pants. With the coffee halfway to his mouth, he pauses, watching me. Rush into the good stuff again. One brow arches, and the corner of his lips follows. My cheeks pink as though I'm the one who's been out in the cold. I just meant... I know what you meant, baby, he says. Not gonna lie, damp pants are not my favorites, unless they're the panties of a woman. Dear Lord, I want to fan my face, but then another thought occurs. How many women has he been with since that night? My lips twist as though I disapprove of his inappropriate comment, and I do. His eyes continue to watch me as he finishes lifting his mug, curling his lips over the rim and taking a sip of the steamy liquid. When he lowers the cup, he tips his head at the bottle of wine on the counter. Hitting the good stuff kind of early. Glancing at the bottle, I realize I've had two glasses, so I clarify for him. I've spent the afternoon reading. I shrug as if that explains everything. Reading anything good? He questions. I shrug again, not willing to tell him it's a raunchy romance, and I'm loving every sentence in it. His knock occurred at the most inopportune time, as the hero was just about to take the heroine again. Gonna guess by the color of those cheeks that it was more than good. My face heats further, and I avert my gaze. Palm flat on my countertop, my fingers drum against the granite as I take a breath and realize Justice is sitting in my kitchen. On second thought, it might not be a bad idea to toss those jeans in the dryer if you don't mind. He slips off the counter stool as he tugs off his leather jacket. Underneath is a Henley similar to the one he had on the night we met. Don't suppose you have an extra set of men's pants lying around. Looking up at him, I confirm. No, no man's clothes to be found here. Got a man to be found here? He questions, setting his jacket over the back of a kitchen chair. None of your beeswax, I think. I figure if he's had other women, then it shouldn't matter if I've had other men. However, I shake my head, unable to defend myself with those eyes observing me. 
His lips curl and he fights a smirk. Just give me your pants already, I demand as I round the counter. Holding out my hand, I wiggle my fingers for emphasis. So eager to get into them, Cora. He teases, and I find it strange he's addressing me by my real name. That night was a bunch of endearments, my favorites among the list being Gorgeous and Baby. Reaching for his waistband, I turn my head, shifting my body so my back is to him. There's no mistaking the sharp sound of the zipper and the shuffle of denim over his skin. I recall the power of those legs as he thrust into me from behind, and the weight of one as he curled it over my thighs while we took a short rest. The blanket over my shoulders slips loose, and my head turns this way and that as it slides off me. I spin to find justice that has tugged it free of me to wrap around his waist, giving him the look of a Scottish man, complete with kilt and Henley. His jeans rest on the floor next to his socks. He's staring at me as I stare at him. What you got on, baby? I'm wearing a cami with spaghetti straps minus a bra and plaid flannel pants, but it isn't the pajama bottoms he's glaring at. It's the sharp nubs pointing at him from the inside of my shirt. I don't answer him but bend for his jeans and carry them to the laundry room where I toss everything into the dryer. Returning to the kitchen, I find Justice missing. I head to the den opposite the kitchen, expecting to see him warming himself before the fireplace, but he isn't there either. Walking all the way to the front rooms, I discover Justice sitting on the piano bench in the side parlor. The beautiful instrument before him is a baby grand I don't play anymore. It's a showpiece, one my mother loved, and I haven't been able to bring myself to part with it since her death. I stare at Justice, watching him focus on the keys before him. He's opened the cover, exposing the ebony and ivory tabs. His fingers float over them, but he doesn't touch the smooth surface. He rocks forward once, closing his eyes for a second, as if he hears a song in his head, one that he plays from memory. Do you play? I question, and his lids flip open. He stands quickly, banging his knees into the underbelly of the piano and forcing some of the keys to jump despite his fingers never touching them. Different lifetime, he mutters. Didn't mean to help myself. I watch him approach me with his eyes still a bit dazed, as if the memory hasn't left him yet. No need to apologize. You can play it if you wish. Suddenly, he's before me, his body so large compared to mine. His gaze drifts to my shoulder as his thick fingers come to the thin strap of my cami, and he tugs it to the side. I can think of other things I'd rather play. He mutters in that throaty voice of his, the one that sends a shiver down my spine. Do you really think that's a good idea? I ask, but my voice cracks on the question. Don't you want to play again, Corabelle? My lonely libido whimpers. His eyes leap back to mine. You don't. It's a question and an observation in one. It's been a long time. I tell him, implying the length of time since we've seen one another. His head tilts to the side. He's so close to me, I can smell the cold of his henley but feel the warmth of his breath. How long's it been, baby? Mistaking my comment, I fix my eyes on the button of his shirt and answer while struggling with the truth. Almost a year. Thick fingertips brush at my hair near my ear, pushing the blondish locks over my lobe. By my recollection, almost a year ago is when you and I... I don't meet his gaze, 
just forced my eyes to focus on the tortoise-shelled buttons of his shirt. Gora? Gorgeous. His voice softens as his fingers stroke over my ear again. I shrug just the slightest bit. I haven't missed it. Not like I should have. I've had Vilma's videos to keep me encouraged and educated. What I missed was him. Like you said, I begin swallowing around the words. Different lifetime. A large palm cups the side of my face, and his words drift lower. We could connect those lifetimes again, baby. Don't you have someone coming for you? I question. Looking up to find his face even closer than I suspected, I swallow as my mouth waters, wanting to taste those lips surrounded by heavy snow and oiled-colored scruff. I can make another call, he states, his voice low but not a whisper. It's too deep for a whisper. Just nod and I'll make the call. Have someone get me tomorrow when it isn't so dangerous. Watching his lips curl, I respond. Could be dangerous if you stay here. How dangerous do you want it to be, gorgeous? I have no words. We did things I'd never done that first night. Kneeling on the bed as he took me from behind, up against the wall and then balancing on a nightstand, in the shower. I'd never been anywhere other than a bed in the missionary position. After producing two children and then a few years of empty sex, Stan didn't come for me anymore. I feel safe with you, I admit, which doesn't answer his question, but his crooked grin grows into a slow smile. Always protect you, baby. Meet you by the fireplace. Am I really doing this again with him? Standing before the flames after placing another two logs on the fire, I wait for justice. He went to my kitchen, and I hear the mutter of his voice as he makes a phone call, but not the words or who he speaks with. I wonder if he tells the person where he is. Different worlds, different lifetime. If we're so different, how can we connect like we once did? Will it be as good if we do it again? I don't expect myself to answer and stop thinking when I feel the heat of him behind me. Thick hands cover my shoulders and press the thin straps on each off to the side to dangle at my arms. I ride at the one previously, but it's restored to its former position. I don't have time to contemplate this action when warm suction comes to one shoulder. Sipping kisses move to my neck, scratching at my skin with the abrasive brush of his scruff. It's thicker than I remember, but I like it. My head tips, exposing more of my neck for him, and he works his way to my ear. I like what you have on, he says, and I almost laugh. It's nothing like what I wore the night I met him. Those skinny jeans with the rips at the knees, the tight top that hugged the swell of my breasts. I don't even have on a bra today. His hands move to my side after sliding straps of my shirt off my shoulders, but now they coast upwards, resting at the side of each breast. He shifts his head to the other shoulder, beginning a trail of open-mouthed kisses on the opposite side and his hands move forward to cover each achy globe, squeezing them together before tugging back and simply massaging their weight. My head falls back to his shoulder, and I purr. Miss that sound. He mutters into my neck, and I snort. With his own chuckle, he asks, What was that? I'm sure you've been with other women in the time that's passed. I straighten my head as I feel him stiffen behind me. We aren't talking about other women. He commands, 
and I closed my eyes, shutting out the flames that danced before me. My mouth made that pussy sing, and those lips up top purr, and I damn well have not heard a similar sound since. I think there's a compliment in there somewhere, but I'm not certain. And seeing as my mouth doesn't like to go down on random pussy, since I don't know where it's been, this mouth has not been anywhere other than yours in a long, long time, gorgeous. I tip my head and look at him over my shoulder, but he holds me in place with the weight of his chest at my back, and his hands still cupping both my breasts, as though it's a normal resting place for your palms. Furthermore, a man remembers the sound of a woman he makes come three times with his tongue, and those sweet hums imprint in a way that cannot be replicated by anyone other than the woman who originally made them. I try to spin completely, but he tugs me to the wall of his chest by keeping his hands on my breasts. Did you just use the word furthermore? I tease. Yes, ma'am. Even us biker dudes can use words with more than four letters, but I do prefer the simple ones like, don't think about other women when I have my hands on you because I'm not. I'm thinking of only one woman, and she's the one I have my hands on. Am I making it clear enough that with my hands on you, and soon my mouth, and eventually my dick deep inside you, you are the only one I'm thinking about. I exhale, hearing him. Okay. Got another furthermore for you, although this is more of a however. However, if you're thinking about another man with his hands on you instead of mine, or his mouth on that sweet pussy instead of mine, or his dick up inside you and not mine, then we can stop this right now. I huff out a bitter laugh. There's no other man. I don't know why I'm reassuring him as he hasn't reassured me of my question. But when his nose drags around the shell of my ear and his deep voice says, Give me your mouth, Cora. I turn for him, erasing all previous concerns when our lips connect. We kiss like this for several minutes, his hands still holding my breasts while my head tips back and his bends over mine. It's an odd angle and eventually he pulls away. That chair special to you? he asks of the leather recliner near the fireplace. I read there. That where you read those dirty books? His voice teases, and I should defend myself, stating I don't do what he's talking about, but I do. Without answering, he knows the truth. Tell me a tale with the chair. You want me to tell you a story about the chair? I question. I want you to tell me a fantasy that involves that chair, so then every time you sit in it, Every time you look at it, you'll squirm and get wet and remember what we did in it. Bless my soul. He'll ruin me in my reading chair. I... I don't know how to respond. I haven't thought about the chair. Much. Bed, definitely. Bathtub, absolutely. Kitchen island, a time or two. But the leather lounger, not so much. As if sensing my spinning mind, justice speaks. Maybe I can help you start. He turns me so I face him, and his mouth comes to mine again, sweet but firm. I'm propelled back to that first time when I wanted to climb him. I wanted to crawl into the cavern of his mouth and tangle up with that tongue. Feeling at present is quite similar, and I feel myself reaching out for him. Hands on his shoulder blades, leg hitched up to his hip, body searching for that sweet friction only he provides. Love how you want to rush, gorgeous, but I'll be taking my time tonight. 
Thick fingers scoop into the low collar of my cami and tug the material downward with such force my breasts spring forward. Such gorgeous tits. He hums and then shows his appreciation of each, sucking at one while squeezing the other, and then flipping his attention and working the opposite way in a similar manner. My hands clutch at his head, fingers tugging at his short hair. My legs can't hold me, and the heat of the fire at my back almost burns. Eventually, he kneels before me and takes my loose-fitting pajama pants and underwear to the floor like his knees. My nose scrunches as I realize I'm not wearing anything lacy or sexy like I wore the night I'd entered the den. But Justice doesn't seem to notice. Get your foot up here, he states, tugging one ankle free of the flannels and placing the flat of my foot on the hearth of the fireplace. With his nose, he inhales the short curls near the apex of my legs and then dips his face lower, swirling his tongue through my throbbing folds. The purr he claims the light comes out loud and long as my head tips back and my legs quiver. I reach back for the mantle of the fireplace with one hand, holding the thick wood as an anchor. His palms slap at my bare backside, squeezing each cheek to hold me in place against his face as his tongue does what only his tongue can do to me. He's a man on a mission, and he's devouring me until my legs quiver so much, I'm certain I'll collapse. Justice, I whimper, my other hand curling into his hair and giving a gentle tug of his short locks. My hips rock as if my body wants to dance, and I move with the thrust of his tongue, lapping over folds dripping from his salivating position. The tightening happens, my pulse quickens, I clench and I squeeze, and then I break, my hand slipping off the mantle to hold his head in place as I fall apart against his mouth. Pinpricks of light float before me, and I inhale hopes to catch my breath. With a final lick, Justice presses a kiss to the top of my thigh and looks up at me, mouth glistening and eyes sparkling in the reflection of the fireplace behind me. Come here, he commands, tugging me by the hips so I follow him as he rolls toward the floor. When he flattens himself on the carpet, I sit astride his middle, the insides of my thighs damp and my core sensitive against the cotton of his shirt. I'm going to make a stain, I whisper, uncertain why I care about soiling his shirt. You already have, baby, he replies, his tone implying something other than a spot on his clothing. He reaches up to cut my head, pulling my mouth down to his. We kiss again, and I taste my salty sweet flavor on his lips before he separates us. Need to be inside you. I don't have... My voice fades as he reaches for something on the couch cushion above us and drops it to the floor beside him. Apparently, he's prepared with more than one foil square package, knowing this is where we were headed before I did. You can't really be that naive, right, Cora? The moment I opened the door tonight, I knew I'd let this man in anywhere he asked. Wonder why he didn't ask to see me again then. But I already know the answer. It wasn't part of the plan. Not for him, not for me. With his hands on my hips, he moves me down his body and removes a blanket wrapped at his waist, revealing he wore it like a true kilt with nothing underneath. Whether he took off his underwear when he went to make that phone call or he took it down with his jeans and I missed it, I have no idea, but it's of no consequence. He's naked from the waist down minus the condom I'm watching him roll over his thick length. I should offer to assist, 
He made me do it the night we were together. He suggested I need the practice, implying there would be other men after him, but there haven't been. Pop up, he directs, guiding me back to the center over him. As he's holding himself upright, I balance at the tip, my thighs trembling again, sensitive folds pulsing in anticipation. Justice lowers me, taking his time to slip inside me. The angle taps deep, hitting somewhere I haven't felt before, and I remain upright over him. Watching my eyes, he squeezes my hips, hinting I move. Take over, baby. I... I don't know if I can. Admittedly, I followed his lead the entirety of our first interlude. This would be different, and a position I'm not used to being in, although I thrive on control. You're an assertive woman, Corbell. Take from me what you need. I know you've needed this. The command in his voice, along with my full name and the implication I haven't been with another man since him, sort of pisses me off. Actually, it sets me off, and I rock against him, feeling the nub of need rub against his pubic bone. What the... what was... I do it again, almost shuddering as my clit rests right where I need friction. In this position, with my hands suddenly pressing against his chest and my core rubbing at the firmness above his dick, I'm coming out of my skin. Moving faster, rocking harder, I feel the pressure quickly build and my breath hitches. His hands reach up to cover my breasts, squeezing firmly at the achy swells and pinching the nipples. A spark goes off inside me. Justice, I... this... He growls and the throaty rumble travels from him to me, rippling up my channel filled by his thickness. I contract, I flinch, I strike against the pressure and then come undone. Head thrown back, mouth agape, my fingernails claw down his chest under a shirt which I push upward as I ride out the storm crashing over me. My hips continue to rock in a gyrating slow dance, dragging out the bluster inside until I settle, and Justice knows I'm near the finish. Jackknifing himself upward, he tugs off his shirt and his arms circle around my back. He takes my mouth, pinning me over him. Hang on. He mutters against my lips, and then his fingers dig just above my hips, where the term love handles originated, yet mine have grown thicker over the years. His thick palms do not seem to mind the extra cushion as he lifts and lowers me, pistoning me over him. Up and down, up and down, I jostle and jiggle while my fingertips curl into his shoulders. He grunts as he moves me, swallowing him, taking him deeply until finally he forces me downward, holding me in place as he pulses inside. His head lowers from my shoulder and he groans. The release is one I'm certain would fill me if he wasn't contained. What would he feel like skin on skin? If nothing was between us and no worlds divided us, it isn't a safe thought nor a smart one. I'm 41, still young enough to get pregnant, yet old enough to know I won't go backward. I had my children already. Falling backward to his back, Justice takes me with him to blanket his chest, which rises and falls in exaggeration. My cheek rests against his bare skin as I listen to his stampeding heart. Phew, gorgeous. He exhales and I smile. His chest holds a good amount of hair and my fingers comb through the curls, watching the silver and ink curl together. We don't lay still long before he taps my hip. Up. 
I roll off him and he curls upward, helping himself to the bathroom without even asking me where one is. I'm still on the floor when he returns, having restored the blanket he used as a skirt to my shoulders. Come here, gorgeous, he suggests, holding out a hand and helping me stand. Once upright, he leads me to the leather chair. Taking a seat, he pulls me onto his lap, settling me sideways. My shoulder presses into his chest, and he tucks the blanket around me, drawing my knees up so I'm cocooned within the confines of the seat, and his arms wrapped around me. This is a Saturday, he says, pressing a sweet kiss to my temple as I stare at the fireplace flickering with flames. It could use another log, but I don't want to move. Not yet. Justice tips his head back, closing his eyes. I miss Saturdays. Within seconds, he's quietly humming a rhythmic snore, and I listen to the vibration of his throat as my forehead rests near it. This is a Saturday, I think to myself, and I'm going to miss them when he's gone. I wake with a start when a hand slips up my calf and knuckles brush over tender skin. My head shifts, and I glance up at Justice who watches where his arm has disappeared under the blanket. Ready to touch you again, he says, his voice rough with sleep. We discussed when we met how he wasn't a spring chicken, but he could do it more than once in a night, just not more than once in a row. As I'd ever only done things one at a time, I was not complaining about a rest before repetition. A repeat performance had not been on the radar, but Justice was generous in that manner. He was also greedy. Loosen the blanket a bit, baby. I shift, feeling my own bones creak as I hadn't ever dozed off on a man and definitely never sat in a lap like this. I tug until the blanket covers us, but isn't binding as it had been. No sooner do I have it settled when fingers stroke over folds tender and alert from round one. His touch is delicate, playful even, absolutely teasing as he tickles and strums until I need more friction. Justice, I hum, and he chuckles before he deepens the pressure, rubbing in a lazy circle, brushing where I'm needing and then slipping one finger inward. My head rolls and I press a kiss to his chest. Like that, baby. Like that kind of rush. The first push into you, and you make that sound. Your breath hitches, and then you purr. His voice softens, marveling at my reaction to him. When he retracts his finger and adds the second, I do it all again without thought. It's just how I respond to him. My hand coasts down his chest, hovering over his abs, which flinch under my fingertips. Then I lower, curling my fist around his growing thickness. I tug and squeeze, feeling him expand and stiffen. Like your hand on me, gorgeous. This produces another purr, and he works me while I work him. Those two digits bring me to the edge. Justice, I'm going. Not without me, he commands, then quickly removes his fingers, which causes me to whimper. When he tips his chin toward the floor, I know what he wants. We need another condom. Unfolding from his lap, I'm not very graceful as my body is stiff and my legs weak, not to mention my channel weeps from his sudden removal from my body. I let the blanket fall to the carpet and reach for a package. With shaky fingers, I rip the foil and cover him. I expect him to comment, but he doesn't. He only watches me roll it down that thick shaft, and then he guides me by my hips to straddle him in the chair. My reading chair, 
the one I'll never be able to sit in again without thinking of this night. When I slowly lower myself over him again, it's tight with my knees imprisoned between the thick arms of the chair and his solid thighs. He scoots a little lower, and then the adjustment hits the spot from earlier. My turn to ride, he says, and he moves my hands to the armrests. Then he bucks up, thrusting deep, and my breath catches. That hurt, baby. I shake my head, unable to find the words when the rushes surge produced. He does it again and again until I'm meeting him, crashing into him with equal enthusiasm. The chair beneath us creaks and creaks, and I wonder if we'll break it, but it would be so worth it. His arms circle low around my back, holding me still as he hammers into me, and my fingers curl at the armrests. Then his thumb comes forward and slips between my thighs to work my sensitive nub, and I remember this from the night we were together. The stimulation is too much, and I'm back to where I was with his fingers in me. Justice, I squeak. Together, baby, he demands, and I let go, free-falling into him and giving him all I have. He holds on to me, following my lead, jolting off inside me until we're both gasping. He loosens his arm, and I fold to him, pressing his head to my chest as my arms circle his neck. I don't want to let him go. Different worlds or not, I've never felt this alive before, never felt so free. Baby, you're choking me. He jokes and I pull back, unable to catch his eye. Immediately, I scramble back, removing him from me. I crawl off him. Cora. He reaches for me, but I'm just outside his grasp, and I bend for the blanket. As I stand, he's behind me, pulling me to him, back to his chest. What happened? Was it too rough? Yes, I think. My emotions can't handle it. Of course, I don't admit this. I just say, I need a minute to freshen up. My voice turns cold, resorting to the one I recognize from years of pretending. Just gonna get my lipstick, honey. I'd say to Stan, excusing myself after something he said or didn't say. Need another minute, sweetheart. I'd tell him after I heard him on the phone with his woman, before I knew he had another woman. I only had my suspicions then. Only despite my tone and my request, justice does not release me. We good, gorgeous. It is a question and a statement in one. He's asking, but also telling me. We're good. I lie, and he lets me go. When I return to my reading room, I hold his jeans and boxers. These are dry now if you'd be more comfortable. He eyes me as I've taken a moment to dress myself in leggings, an oversized sweater, and cabin socks. You'd be more comfortable without my bare ass on your leather chair. If he wanted to keep his naked self there, I might not mind, but I don't say that. Just thought you might like your pants. You kicking me out? He asks, and I turn my head for the window. I can't see a thing between the darkness and the small pile of snow and the divided panes. How about some supper? I offer, not answering his question by inviting him to stay. I'm not exactly hungry, but I should eat because of the energy I expended this afternoon. What's on the menu? He might be asking, but there's a touch of excitement in his voice, and I wonder how often he has a home-cooked meal. As I'm only cooking for one these days, I have leftover pork tenderloin and mashed potatoes I plan to heat. He nods, his bottom lip protruding as though it sounds good to him.
I'd like that. Thank you. This shift to his voice causes my brow to pinch, but I don't question him. He's still holding his pants before him. Excusing myself, I return to the kitchen, pour myself another glass of wine, and turn on the oven to heat our supper. Within minutes, I hear the piano playing, the tinkering noise long since forgotten in this house. The song isn't familiar, but my heart mellows with the sorrowful sound and the melancholy melody. Slowly, I approach the front room where the piano stands. Justice sits in the darkness with only the dim light coming through the windows. His jeans and Henley restored to him. He's barefoot, pushing the pedals as his fingers rumble over the keys. His shoulders rock forward once again, as if the song sings in his head. Leaning against the archway, I listen and watch until he finishes, his fingers pressing down on the keys and holding a second. That was beautiful. I say and he spins on the bench as if he's forgotten I'm here. It's my home, my piano. Two thick knuckles scratch under his chin as his eyes shift from me to the instrument. You heard that, did you? Chuckling softly, I enter the room and hand him a small crystal tumbler of whiskey. It was a little hard to miss. I tease, leaning on the side of the large piano. You play beautifully. What song was that? Just something off YouTube, I heard. He brings the crystal to his lips and takes a sip. His tongue licks an extra drop off his lips as he pulls the glass away from his mouth. Where did you learn to play? Had an old friend who taught me. His eyes stare into the glass. Old friend, nice euphemism. Did he once love someone? Maybe he had a wife, a former mistress, or a lover. He doesn't seem like a friends with benefits type of man. He seems all in or on the periphery, like he's been with me. Sensing he isn't going to tell me more about the friend who taught him to play, I press off the edge of my mother's prized possession. Supper's almost ready, I say, stepping around the bench until he circles my wrist. You remind me of her. Cultured, rich, beautiful. His thumb strokes up and down at the vein on the underside of my forearm. But she wanted a different life than I could offer her. Lifting his head slowly, he takes another sip from the tumbler, watching me over the rim. Do you get what I'm saying? He asks after he swallows. Are you offering me something, Justice? He shakes his head, his lips twisting. Then I don't think you have anything to worry about. Still holding my wrist, he pushes his feet against the floor and the bench moves. He sets his drink on the top of the piano and then lowers his hand from my hip, forcing me between him and the keys. My backside hits a few of them, and the resonating ripple fills the room. Once before him, sad midnight eyes look up at me. His fingers curl into the flesh just above my hips. I'd offer you everything, Cora, if I had anything to give. My fingers reach out for his hair, brushing at the short locks, sweeping through them and curling around the side of his head. I don't need anything, honey, I tell him. I don't really. I have quite a bit. Money, house, successful business, rebuilding the relationship with my daughter. I've lost my son to the same club this man belongs to, so I'll leave Zachary off my list of accomplishments. He's a failure I need to remember. It's my fault he ran to a man like Justice. Then again, I'm doing the same thing in a sense, reaching for this man when I shouldn't. Different worlds. As my fingers continue to stroke his head, 
He lowers it from my belly, placing his forehead at my stomach. What was that song, honey? I ask again, haunted by the tune floating through my head. He rolls against my abdomen, shaking his head side to side because he doesn't want to tell me. Still combing through his hair, he eventually looks up and reaches for the tumbler on the piano. He throws back the rest of the alcohol and then looks up at me. I want to lay you out on this instrument, fuck you into the keys, and hear your pussy sing to me. My finger's still at the side of his head. As much as that sounds enticing, I'm afraid I might weigh too much to sit atop this thing. Not to mention, this is my mama's piano. It's a standing memory to her, and I don't think I could muster what I'd need to climb on top of it and do that, even with you. Were you close to your mama? Very. I miss her every day and wish she'd seen how far I've come. You wouldn't be too heavy, gorgeous, but I respect that it's a memory of your mother. Does he have a mother he's fond of? I don't ask after the sadness of him remembering a friend who taught him piano. His hand slipped down my hips, then up under my sweater to the waistband of my leggings. Fingers curled to the sides, and slowly the material lowers. Justice, I warn. Not gonna lay you up like I planned, he says, his eyes focus as my pants and underwear lowering. Supper's almost ready, I tell him, hands slamming into the keys on either side of me as they poke into my backside. Just as his nose comes to the curls at the apex of my thighs. Want dessert first, he says, blowing air on me, and then swiping his tongue against overused folds. You taste like us, baby. And on those words, his tongue dips into me again, with piano keys pressing into the flesh of my derriere, and the untuned harmony of my hands occasionally hitting notes while he devours me before dinner. We're back. Hey. Hi. Yes. How about that first installment? How about it? Look at <laughs> motorcycle man. Yep. I know, I love it. (laughs) I love it. And I love the more mature characters too. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited to play that second half for you on Friday. In the meantime, go to Kindle Unlimited or Amazon. You can get uh, Second Chance by L.B. Dunbar, um, a second chance romance for over 40s with a silver fox and the woman he loved that he never forgot. That's free this week only. So go snatch it up right now. And I'll tell all you. of her books are in Kindle Unlimited. Oh, nice. All of her books are in Kindle oh, Unlimited. She has a huge backlist, a bunch of different series for all kinds of stuff. This is it. This is what you've been waiting for. All the people that keep saying that you want older people in romances. Yeah. This is this the is best. This is it. Time to yeah. binge. Get ready. Prime stuff. And we'll be back on Friday with more. And uh, I think that's it. Yep. Yeah. Go, go to readmeromance.com for new releases and to, um, to enter the giveaway on our homepage. So... Leah. We're gonna be giving away Read Me Romance swag. Oh, nice! Read Me Romance swag. swag. Awesome. Okay, Leah, tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. 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 Read me romance. Read, read me romance.